Hello and welcome to the Bigger Picture Podcast. Today I have with me a returning guest, Seth Allison, to continue our conversation, this time focusing on internal family systems, and hopefully we'll be able to touch a little bit on Carl Jung's idea of archetypes. Seth, welcome to the show. Hi, Roni. Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you here again. I loved our conversation last time on attachment, and I've really been looking forward to diving deeper with you into IFS. I just recently really discovered internal family systems, and I really find it a groundbreaking approach. So how about Mm -hmm. we give people a little bit of background. What exactly is IFS? And maybe we can also tell people how it developed. Yeah, oh, I'd be happy to. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed our conversation very much last time as well. Um, and hopefully we can make a, a little bit of a bridge from attachment and emotion-focused therapy into oh, absolutely. IFS. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's helpful to start with uh, how IFS developed. Um, and I'll even place it in the context of... Um, kind of a, a flow of psychological theory through the 20th century, Amazing. Um, which, uh, you know, so psychoanalysis as developed by Freud um, is a, a very, um, what we call a, a structural theory of mind. And a lot of people would know kind of uh, uh, id, ego, super ego of these um, sectors of the human psyche um, and ego representing kind of a center of consciousness and awareness, um, uh, and, and it has defense mechanisms and uh, this energy pushing up from the id, impulses, drive, sexual, aggressive, and then uh, containment from a superego, kind of uh, right. a, a internalized sort of norms of society. Um, uh, so it's a it's a hydraulic model based on kind of the technology of the time, the steam engine. Right, right. Uh, so as you move forward into the uh, 50s and 60s, there's a there's a real swing towards um, behaviorism, which is not really a, a theory of mind, but uh, a theory that's about um, contingencies and reinforcers in in, in the environment. Uh, and psychology and treatment moves towards um, behavioral intervention. Um, it, it moves into uh, actually the field of medicine as well. Um, and then cognitive behavioral therapy, which a lot of people know, um, kind of is, is similar, but also working with thoughts. Um, but again, there isn't really a, a theory of um, a structured mind so much. Um, out of this comes family therapy. And this is where Dick Schwartz, the developer of internal family systems, um, was coming from in the 70s uh, as he was going through uh, grad school. He was a structural family therapist. He was studying um, how to work with a family system. So as a therapist, he'd have a family in a room. Uh, he was looking to join with the family and kind of like a good therapist, kind of engage and build rapport, understand everybody's position uh, get them to explore and talk about what the dynamics in the family were. But the idea of like healing and, and fixing the problem was largely about moving parts around in a system. 
um, clarifying boundaries, um, uh, making sure parents were in their appropriate leadership roles and kids were in their appropriate roles. Um, and if there was difficulty in the marriage subsystem, working on that. But it was um, very much about external uh, movement of parts of a system. So Dick um, uh, was working with a particular clientele. Uh, they, they were actually bulimic uh, women who uh, he, he Dick likes to say that um, despite his efforts, they didn't realize they were cured. <laughs> right. And right. Uh, right. Right. And um, he in, in a kind of a crisis of like, OK, everything I know isn't working, started to listen to them. And they were they were talking about internal parts of them. And um, he kind of just sort of went with it. But he still was a family therapist and he was still thinking as a family therapist would. And so he would start to listen to these parts and try to understand them. And just like you would with like an upset uh, dad in a family therapy session, um, you might a family therapist might say, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to ask you if you could just step back for a moment so we could hear what mom is saying or what the kid needs to say. Are you OK with doing that? Well, that's literally what he would do with these parts. And to his surprise, they actually started responding. Um, and just to be clear, when I say responding, we're talking, we're not talking metaphorically. We're talking quite literally talking to parts of you that are inside of you. And then, um, realizing, and this is one of the big moments in IFS. There's several, but when you, when you first realize that a part speaks back to you, it's a little like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I can have a dialogue with this part. So Dick kind of rolled with this and he learned some things that became consistent principles of what he called internal family systems. Um, and uh, part of that was just clearing space between parts that would get locked in um, polarities or, or conflict. Um, and uh, as he got them to step back, something spontaneous would happen. And the, the core concept in IFS is what um, his clients would say, um, oh, that's myself, you know, and they would they, that, that would not be a part. It was something different. It was a different entity. And um, one of the things that I think frustrates the academic scientific community is that Dick um, very intentionally stayed with the language of his clients. Um, he didn't. He didn't blow it into something that, uh, you know, was um, really a, a rigorous model of like how we make sense of all this in a material way. He just goes, OK, they, they call it self. Let's stick with self. And he noticed certain qualities about this energy, this this state. I think it's maybe easier for people to think of it initially you enter into a state that feels different. Um, and a, a lot of us have experiences of being in a flow state exactly. uh, or like, oh, my gosh, I'm really centered. I feel like I can really focus and I'm curious and I'm compassionate. And there are these um, qualities that he noticed. Uh, he calls them the eight C's. 
I, sh- I printed them all out and I forgot to bring them, but um, no you it's may be able to help me. Curious. Good. And... Compassionate. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, clear. Right. And um, there are, there are other ones. Confident is, is an important one. Is creative uh, another or am I just creative? Okay. Creative is a very important one because a lot of times when we're stuck and or what he calls blended, where parts of us are blended with ourself or kind of if you picture a Venn diagram, you know, these concentric circles, um, if you have a kind of self is in the middle. Uh, when we get blended, we have parts that come in and kind of take over. And sometimes two parts are at war and they kind of both blend. And you can't find that center place. You can't find that curious, what's, you know. Basically, you can't step back and be objective about what's happening in your own mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. I just want to pause uh, really quick. Yeah. I think the fact that he was working with uh, women with eating disorders is really important because that kind of experience, whether we're talking about disordered eating or addictions, you Mm -hmm. feel like a part of yourself, this part that you don't like, that it's not you, takes over in those episodes. And and I think that's really relevant. And that, I I think, really helped him understand that we're not always ourself. A hundred percent. And I'll, um, yes, I agree. I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that it was eating disordered um, patients that taught him this. Um, he, uh, like Jung, um, was kind of brought into the, a situation where he um, really was put into a beginner's mind kind of place. Um, and his teachers became, you know, his clients became his teachers. Um, and, uh, addiction and eating disorders, which have a lot in common, um, are really great examples of this, of I'm doing this, I'm saying this, I'm feeling this, but it doesn't feel like me. I, I feel like I'm hijacked. And, um, I think a lot of us really, I mean, all of us relate to that and i don't like Any, anyone who's dealt with yeah totally yeah and um anyone who's dealt with depression or anxiety um this this is familiar Absolutely. Um, um and yet a, a lot of us have parts in fact all of us not a lot there's nobody <laughs> walking around there's nobody walking around this is important um so a caveat here, I went, you know, doing yeah. training. Um, uh, one of the trainers was asked, and he'd been doing this for 30 years. Um, so, and all of us are therapists, but we're all like, oh my gosh, I don't have any self energy. What? Oh no. And um, like, how often are you in self? And he said, oh, I mean, at best, 30% of it. And we were like, <laughs> okay, oh my God, okay, all right, good. And I have to say that's actually pretty high. Like yeah, that, that's yeah. like he's, he's achieved quite a bit if he can be himself a third of the time. Um, most of the time, parts of us are kind of running things behind the scenes, and we don't know it. But um, I think 
another concept here is we can reify this and we can say self is this thing that you're either in or you're not. And that's not a part of the model. We, we, we talk about being in self, but really self energy, it, those eight C's can be had on a spectrum of one to a hundred. Um, that energy can be more or less present. And there are parts of us that contain elements of that energy. Um, and they can be sneaky because they kind of feel like, um, they can blend self. They can blend and we don't realize it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm laying out this model and, um, it's, it's a lot to digest if you've never heard it before. So I'll pause there. Are there any, any things you want to dive deeper on with that? No, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Mm. I, I do want to talk about this paradigm shift that he's introducing where mm -hmm. we are moving away from a mono mind approach. We like to yeah, think of good. ourselves as this one right. entity, this one being, one mind. Right. And all of a right. sudden we're discovering that we have these sub personalities and they feel right. like parts of ourselves. But when we start becoming curious and looking into them, we see mm -hmm. that they have almost their own autonomous will, their own yeah. tendencies and behaviors, right. their own agendas. Right. And right. I think that's a real paradigm shift for a lot of people. A hundred percent. I think um, I, I, I kind of misspoke there. there. There are several aha moments when you do this. That's the first one. Right, um, right. I oh oh I actually am made of parts and um you know it's controversial it, it's less controversial now because IFS has been around for 40 years and is now an outcome-based well-researched um therapeutic modality. Um so not as controversial as it used to be but oh my gosh when it came out yeah. Um because Dick, uh, unapologetically, and, and I think quite bravely, um, says, no, these parts are real. These are distinct uh, entities that have autonomy and they're inside of you and they are you, but they, um, they really function pretty independently. Uh, so you have a family in there. You have a, an entire system that's working together and there, there are some qualities about parts that are really important that are kind of the, the guiding principle here with parts is that there are no bad parts. Um, I'll, uh, oh, the beautiful. title here, no, no bad parts. Um, so it's a very important piece here. Then this is also tricky for people is there no parts that have bad intentions ultimately that all parts are there to serve and help us. But um, it doesn't appear that way. They get stuck in bad roles is how he puts it, which I really love right. because he said that he worked with sex offenders. And that's when he right. kind of had that aha moment where right. even those parts that offended, they, they had good intentions for the person. They were trying to protect something very vulnerable. And right. obviously they did so in an awful way but the parts themselves were well-intentioned towards the individual. And that's hard to wrap our heads around, but I think it's the first step in empathizing with those parts and 
realizing, you know, we need to be open. We need to accept. We might not like it, but being a little curious here. Well, a lot curious. Um, it takes a lot of faith mm -hmm. uh, in the model. Um, faith that I'll say Dick earned uh, not overnight, but over his career. Um, and that I've come to uh, earn uh, over my career because um, you see it work. And so sex offenders, is uh, that's a very... I mean, one of the hardest ones for us mm -hmm. to get our mind around. But like a, a, an easier example would be like addiction, where right, right. there's a part of us um, and addicts can get to the point where they're like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't stop. And how is that alcoholic part that's saying it's OK, you can drink, you probably should, It's you can stop tomorrow, it's, you know you know, lies, um, how is that good? And um, a shorthand here is that, um, and we, we should talk about the three different kinds of parts, although right, there, right. There, there may be more. Um, there are extreme parts that get caught in um, uh, their role, essentially, and we call them firefighters, um, it is to keep the whole system from burning down. Exactly. And Keeping you from committing suicide in these really extreme cases. And, and suicidal parts are firefighters that ultimately have good intentions as well. And that's a tough one for people Stop to Stop the pain. But yeah. And, but if you've dealt with suicidal thoughts, um, as I, I have in my uh, journey, I've dealt with severe depression and, um, I, I've done work with these parts and I've come to really um, appreciate that they would be, in a sense, brave enough to sacrifice themselves and their own existence to get me and other younger parts of me out of pain that doesn't seem to have any solution. And sometimes the suicidal thoughts are just comforting, which I think firefighters ultimately are there to soothe. Yep. And to deal with pain that we don't have answers for. Um, and, you know, thankfully, it never for me got to a point where that was going to get actualized. But um, having gratitude towards those parts began to shift them. Mm -hmm. It began to shift them when they felt understood and they felt appreciated. Um, it began to to loosen but when that happens, there are other parts that appear that are really hurting. And um, the model calls those parts exiles. Um, in, in broader uh, Western culture, we've kind of developed the, the, the term inner child. Um, but they do tend to be younger parts that are holding the feelings of trauma and the memories in their body of trauma or um, and by trauma, we mean um, we could mean experiences of life and death as they were registered in the body. We can mean disruptions in it with attachment figures, which also register in the body as really threatening, dangerous experiences. So anything that was dangerous that had no solution to it gets pretty locked in these parts 
that are younger. And, um, and then we get uh, another class of part we call protectors or managers, um, that are trying to keep those parts safe and they develop strategies, um, for doing that. And, um, they get locked in their roles too. We'll talk more about managers. Um, but when managers and their strategies are failing and exiles are like coming up, kind of like Freud's id pushing up, mm-hmm, like these, mm-hmm. these terrible feelings and memories or they start to push up into consciousness or awareness in the body. And that's when we need sometimes more extreme solutions, compulsive behavior, more extreme soothing things, addictive behaviors, um, uh, even, even dissociative things, you know, you could think of like Netflix binges as like firefighters coming to distract us and take us away. Um, uh, yeah, let, let me pause there. So you have the exiles, you have the manager level and, uh, the firefighters. Uh, there's some other stuff like guides, um, uh, that we could get into. That's a little, gets a little woo woo for people, but that's a, that's a part of the model now too. No, I would Um, love to, I would love to explore that as well. But what is amazing for me is as I was reading his book, he invites you to do these exercises Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. without really knowing yet what exiles, protectors and firefighters Mm -hmm. were, all three popped up for me. You know, I saw the exile I saw the firefighter and then I saw the Mm -hmm. manager in the corner (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and Uh and it's absolutely amazing how, how these things really do exist and interact with each other. And, and one of his strengths, I think of, of this model is that he really does stick closely to the experience of his patients and the language of his patients. I, yeah, bingo. Um, and you, when you closed your eyes and did that exercise, are experiencing what he, you know, the blind man putting his hands on the elephant of the psyche. That's exactly what he experienced with his clients, what you just said. And so it's not, it's, it's really not, Hey, I developed this idea that there are managers and firefighters. It's like, no, that's just what appears. And it just happens that as he worked with hundreds and now thousands of, of people, it's like these same parts and these same cl- classifications of parts really appeared consistently in everybody. Um, so that, yeah, it's, it's a very, what, what I call experience near model. Um, you don't have to go up in your head and conceptualize a whole lot. I think a lot of us, a lot of us have manager parts that need to have uh, an intellectual map and some, I call it scaffolding mm-hmm. that's like, makes it like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay. Let, we could try this, I guess. Um, and then after you do it, it's really help, helpful to be like, okay, here's a map that makes sense out of what just happened and here's how to use it. Um, yeah. 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 You know, another thing that is amazing is, I, for a while, was very aware of this idea of the inner child and, you know, attachment Mm -hmm. wounds and this experience Mm -hmm. of having this five-year-old within, but there was something missing in, in my work with that inner child that Dick Schwartz really hits the nail on the head because it is a system and, and you don't know how to address the child 
at first. And what I loved about your analysis also was you really tie in attachment and IFS. Mm. So I would love to hear yeah. how, how you see these two things related. Yeah. Uh, so great. Um, I think what might be helpful there is to give people a sense of like actually what that, how that goes. So when you said, you know, I, I, I've worked with my inner child and, you know, it has attachment wounds. Um, that's the idea of the burden that, mm-hmm. um, it, there's, a um, something carried, oh, we've got a cat here, <laughs> uh, something carried in the body. And it, he would say in the body, this part has, I know which people are like, what, but yeah, a felt sense in the body, um, of what it was like to have that disruption in the connection with your attachment figure. Um, but you said something interesting, which is, I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. Right. And what we would do is we'd say, okay, let's check that out because there's a part of you here that is feeling like it doesn't know what to do. And there's, there's a really important, it's not yourself. That's a part. And we would call that part a manager. Mm-hmm. And what it's showing you is that it's it's tasked with trying to take care of that part, but it doesn't really know how to do it. And um, so the part isn't getting soothed. It's not getting healed. It's not being rescued and taken out because the manager doesn't know what to What a manager does know how to do is usually keep it safe away from exposure to other people. Uh, and the managers will have their strategies of how they do that. Um, but when you go in there and you're like, oh, there's this thing in pain, um, they don't have enough of those C qualities to do it. So in the model, you would um, kind of notice that feeling of like helplessness. We're like, ah, and we would have you pivot your attention to that part. And that's your observation about it. It's not just working with an inner child. You have to work with the whole system. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And so we, we find as the flow of the model goes, you almost never, and it's not recommended that you go straight to an exile. Uh, you, you start at higher levels with managers or, or protectors and you, you get to know them like Schwartz would join with a family system. You understand what their job is, you understand what they're afraid of. And if they feel like you're there in self, really getting it, they begin to soften. And then like a family therapist, uh, the, the therapist might say to you, okay, in your inner voice, can you go and just ask that part if it's ready to step back and give you some space so you could go work with that little uh, little girl, I assume, in this point, in this uh, example. And the part will either say, yeah, and you'll have a sense that it pulls its energy back. Uh, or it'll say, no, I'm not ready yet. And we say, great, okay. The, there's a very good reason that you're not willing to do that, and I want to stay here till I understand. Um, and then you kind of do that, and other managers may come in. Uh, a firefighter may come in and say, I'm not ready for you to go there because I don't want to have to, you know, I'm going to make him drink or I'm going to make her cut. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if we do this, 
And um, we say, okay, thank you. I appreciate that you're ready to do what you have to do. And we don't want to do that. So I want to listen to you and let's get to understand what you're afraid of and why you're afraid of it. And yeah. So kind of goes like that. So two things there. Well, that explains to me why I immediately started crying because I started the other way around. I saw the exile first and then the mm -hmm. firefighter trying to keep everything, mm -hmm. you know, uh, protected mm -hmm. and then the manager in the corner and Mm. that was kind of my flow, which was great and powerful and very meaningful. Uh, but I guess, I guess, uh, I, I really dove in. And another thing that you said, which I wanted to comment on, which is very, uh, it, it resonates for me with Jung is mm -hmm. the fact that the manager doesn't want the exile to show itself to others. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that reminds me of this idea of the shadow and learning to mm. integrate the shadow. And it depends kind of how, how we talk mm. about it. Do you, do you know Phil Stutz, his work? I don't. There's a really nice documentary that Jonah Hill made of his. Oh, oh, Stutz. Yes. yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. So he, mm -hmm. he gives it a different name, but the general gist of it is that part of you that you're kind of embarrassed of that isn't perfect mm -hmm. and that you're not letting mm -hmm. him into the room, you got to invite him into the room. You have to integrate. Yeah. Him. Yes. Yeah. So that really reminds me of this kind of relationship mm -hmm. between the manager and the exile. So how about I, I might as well share for people to kind of get a sense of, oh, of what great. came up because it really was enlightening. So, and I don't know about you, but I'm very visual. So there were very strong visuals I, that came up. Yeah. Can I pause you there for a second? Please, please. You're bringing up something really important, and I, I think it, it's helpful. So a lot of people experience, maybe most of people experience when they go in and do this work, images. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, imagine a spectrum of how people can, how much they can image. And Jung was like, you know, off the charts with his ability right. to stay in a, an imaginative space that it was visual. I personally have like zero. Um, and it's frustrating for me when I do this work because I, I don't get to interact with it visually. But what, what I think is important for people to get is that parts are ultimately like wanting to be witnessed and they can communicate different ways. So the scene that you're given, even the way the part looks, the way it might be dressed, the colors around it, it's helpful to imagine that that is being curated as a way of communicating something to you. And you want to be curious about what is it they want me to get? But that can also be thoughts. That could be auditory. That could be a felt sense in the body. It often is a felt sense in the body. So how a part communicates is an important piece to understand for a person. So for you, I want you to proceed, but I wanted to make that note, like the data that you're getting is, is largely visual and I think also emotional and felt. Does that feel right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think that, that is an important distinction because 
as you know, different personalities have different modalities. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people are more kinesthetic, some people are more auditory, some more visual. And yes. I think being open to that, to whatever comes up is really important yes. here. And, and yes. not, not pressuring yourself to have these That's grand right. images and, and really just being curious and open because things really right. do pop up, whatever uh, your modality of choice is, you know, and it's not something we really choose. It's important to remember, a lot of people are like, am I doing this right? Which mm -hmm. is of course, a man, that's a manager coming in and being yeah. like, ah. And um, the, the, the important part is, well, you, you're not doing anything. You're, um, it's what are your parts doing? That you're trying to ultimately get into a position of observing and noticing um, as if you were encountering um, a painting or a sunset or you see a, um, a bunny in, in your yard. Um, you have a sense in the outer world of a distinction between you as the observer and what's being observed. That's tougher in the inner world, but we're going for that. Uh, we're going for an encounter like that world is a, a Dick would say, that's re a real world. Absolutely. That's not, it's a real world in there. And so you're a traveler, you're a visitor, you're going into this real world and you're getting to know these parts. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> I no, want to go back perfect. to your experience. That's yeah. perfect. That's perfect. And I, I really agree here for anyone who is listening to us and thinking there is absolutely no way that I'm made up of multiple parts. Even if you can't grasp that in terms of objective reality, it is the psychic, experiential, phenomenological reality. Yep. It's what we experience. Right. And, and that's good enough. You know, that is real right. in a psychic sense. Uh, and it's something right. to work with. So I'll tell Go you kind it. of the journey that, uh, that came up for me. It started with this felt sense of this like very dark hole, this like bottomless pit, you know, and that's where my addictions mm. come in, my anxious mm. attachment, this kind of feeling that you are mm. never satisfied and never soothed. And that can mm. turn into mm. depression that can get really dark, but it's that hunger, you know, it's hunger for connection and, and whatnot. Mm. And, and, and it mm. started there. And then I saw the little girl, it's me, you know, five years old. Mm. And mm. She, she's just in a black vortex and she's crying and mm. she's alone and it's almost kind of raining around her and and there's almost mm. this this like dark castle in the background god knows why that mm. came up but that's mm -hmm. that was the that was the image that popped up and she's just there all by herself crying and I, and almost like she has this supernatural power of of creating mm this, you know, weather system, this, this like storm around her. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's her. <laughs> that's this, this little five-year-old girl. And then the firefighter came up. I, I didn't know to call it a firefighter at the time, but it's me when I get really angry. <laughs> and that is part of the anxious attachment. You know, for anyone who, mm -hmm. who doesn't know, anxious attachment is often characterized by protest behaviors. You are so seeking connection and you're so afraid to lose connection that you become very angry and you 
use right. hyper-activating strategies of, of showing your distress. And, and that, that character for me was just me in this almost Hulk-like rage. You know, it, it, red face, fuming, <laughs> fuming, raging. Mm -hmm. And, and another thing that we could talk about later, but that almost morphed to me um, into the image of Kali. She's this mm -hmm. uh, goddess, this destroyer mm -hmm. mother. Uh, she's basically the terrible mother archetype. You know, she's the terrible mm. feminine archetype. She's the... As, as the great mother is the giver of life, Kali is the destroyer of life. And that angry feminine energy, that rage, you know, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I, I saw that. Yeah. I really, really yeah. saw that. And, and, mm. and I can understand why she's angry. She's protecting this really, really sad five-year-old girl who's mm. completely vulnerable and helpless. Mm. And, mm. and then I saw in the corner, I, I didn't get... Uh, I didn't have time to, to address her too much, but I saw mm -hmm. the manager and that was, that was me, I guess, like a teenager, we could say mm -hmm. with straight okay. hair, perfect straight hair all the way down and a perfectionist, you know, like we got to be perfect. We, we need that five-year-old to be loved and she's not going to be loved if she's not perfect. And mm -hmm. that system all came up and oh, God, you can understand why I was crying the whole way through. Uh, it was very, very powerful. But what I did to begin with was I walked up to the little girl and, and, and you know, like I got down onto her level, you know, I got down on my knees mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and, and I just gave her a hug. You know, I just started mm -hmm. from there. Like, I understand. I understand mm -hmm. why you're hurting. You don't mm -hmm. deserve to feel this way. I'm here mm -hmm. now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a big girl mm -hmm. now. I'm here now. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I didn't address you enough mm -hmm. you know i'm sorry mm -hmm. i'm sorry mm -hmm. you've been doing this alone mm -hmm. feeling alone and and i'm here now and 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 whenever mm. you need you can you can come to me and i've never had that experience before and mm. she gave a really mm. really strong hug and ever mm. since then i'll just say whenever i kind of feel that you know that that black hole feeling i i, I imagine her just like grabbing onto mm. my leg like a little kid grabs his mother's mm. skirts and I'm just like, oh, you're here. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. You're hugging me. You're good. Yeah. All is well, all is well. And then, you know, I, I, I left her alone when she's calm and, and I moved to the firefighter and I just had to tell her, listen, you, you have so much energy let's use it for good. <laughs> let's, <laughs> you know, like, it's great. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a waste. It's a waste to, 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 to you know, not use this energy for good, mm. but you can't keep doing this. You know, you can't mm -hmm. keep, um, mm. you can't keep this fire going and, and channeling mm. it into destructive behaviors. Mm. And, you know, in the past that was addictions for me or, mm -hmm. or, you know, being very angry, but mm -hmm. but let's let's find a way to channel that energy. And I kind of stopped there. The alarm clock, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, sounded, and I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, okay, well, we got to start the day. But that was that was my morning, and it was so powerful. And I didn't have time to address the perfectionist in the corner, which I need to address. Uh -huh. But but that was 
it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. I've never experienced anything like that. And it helped me understand like what, what is the system here? And you yeah. know, when I'm going through my day, like I know which one of them needs talking to and needs a little more attention. It helps you, helps you orient yourself. So yeah. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me just say, um, for me personally, but also for everyone watching, thank you for being willing to yeah. share that. Yeah. I mean, that takes courage to put yourself out there like that. And it really makes the model come alive. Um, and I'm also very happy for you. I mean, I felt the emotion too. That's a, that is a very significant moment for you. Yeah. And for your parts to, to get to experience what that is a great embodiment of self energy. Um, you, um, I, I, first I would say you didn't do anything wrong or out of order there. You, um, were able to find her and approach her directly. And, um, if your system wasn't ready for you to do that, you wouldn't have been able right. to do that. Um, and you responded to her very naturally. It doesn't sound, I don't think if that were feigned or coming from like, uh, a manager trying to trying to do IFS well, that wouldn't have worked. Right. Um, it came from a very she, maternal place for me. That's that's what it it felt very maternal as you described it. And boy, did she respond to it. Um, so you know, we, Sue Johnson talks about an attachment figure, ideally being available and responsive, and emotionally engaged. And so that's an image of you being uh, offering a kind of secure, available, responsive engagement that she trusted immediately. It's like, you know, like the like a, a plant growing towards the sun. She's mm -hmm. drawn to that. And and the connection with you uh, in and of itself soothes her and relieves that anxious uh, attachment state that she's in. The anxious attachment strategies would be the firefighter and the manager. Right. But that actual state is an extremely uncomfortable, unresolvable fear and over arousal. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, how beautiful. And the fact that you can come back and that she now trusts that she can find a way to you. So if you remember our last conversation, you know, it's um, the protest is a reach. It's a um, I feel this in my body. I'm trying to reach or symbolize that to get it soothed. When you respond to me, ah, whew, my system regulates. Right. That's exactly what it sounded like. But the, what's amazing is you did that once. Yeah. And then, and then she knew how to get your attention and come back when she needed to. And you knew how to respond to her. And whereas in the past, I imagine you'd be in the grip of strategies. For sure. When she, when she got flooded, they'd come in. Um, look at this. I mean, what a difference. It uh, is incredible. It is incredible. I can yeah. say today, you know, I was in the kitchen cooking before, before mm -hmm. this and that feeling mm -hmm. popped up and it just immediately, it's like, come here, give me a hug. 
It's all good. And, you know, in the past, and uh, let me just uh, say, yeah. a disclaimer, I'm a work in progress. Nothing is cured, right? But we're, uh, we're, one, step, we're one step closer to enlightenment. Um, but, but I really did feel that shift. And, and another thing about, about the five-year-old, and mm -hmm. I wonder if there's um, any other people who have experienced that, the moment she was soothed, what came up for me was what I'm kind of calling the shadow in a sense was this like little silly five-year-old girl that I was, I was like so theatrical and so ridiculous. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I loved, I loved mm -hmm. just being silly. And all of a sudden I, I saw her engaging in that kind of behavior and just mm. that be. And so, yeah. Oh, could I comment on please, that? Please. Um, so, you know, Dick observed exactly this phenomena across all of his clients. Amazing. That when an, when an exile experiences that connection to self, um, they unburden. Now, you didn't, as far as I know, you didn't describe what in the model would classically be seen as an unburdening ritual. Okay, what does uh, that look the, like? Well, let me say what I heard sure, first, sure. and then we'll go back to that. Absolutely. But what what you saw was the what happens when a when that icky feeling goes away, that parts and remember how in the strange situation test, a secure, securely attached kid once they're soothed. Do you remember what they do? A securely attached kid, they do cry. They do. And after the parent picks, after the parent picks them up and soothes them, they what relax. happens? And they relax and they play. And there you go. Boom. <laughs> they resume. Yes. They resume the developmentally appropriate activity, whatever that might be. Wow. So what we find with exiles is after they feel better, you could ask them, okay, and now what would you like to do? And they will tell you. And in this case, she just went and did it. She's restored now to her natural state of being and uh isn't that great i mean wow. she gets to she doesn't have to live in that energy anymore she can go back to being herself um, and i know the language could be confusing but being being more authentically who she is instead of spending all that energy just holding all that stuff i think i think a good word for for what you're trying to describe is mm -hmm. she doesn't have to be in that role anymore and i think i heard yeah. dick schwartz talk in that language yeah. she can assume a different role a developmentally yes. appropriate role and in this case it's to be a a fun theatrical uh playful child and um I think I'd make a distinction. You could absolutely use that uh, language of role, but exiles don't really, I don't know if Dick would agree with this, but my experience and the way it's talked about is that exiles don't have roles as they've, they've been forced to take on a burden. I see. And you could say that you could say the role is to hold the burden, but it isn't really, um, it could, I guess it can be a job, but um, often it's experienced more as something in their body that is heavy and dark and they're just, ugh, and that has to be let out. 
And so the typical unburdening is once you've witnessed, in this case, like she's in this dark um, void kind of space. There's the dark castle. It's as if, and this is interesting, I don't know about this, if it's true, but she didn't display the energy inside of her. She displayed it around her. Uh, and it, that her way of communicating what it was like was, I'm in this place. Right. And my energy is dark. And ugh. And you went to her in that place. Now, that's a part of the process with exiles. We go to them and we see where they're stuck and they show us what it's like. And we ask, what do you want me to witness? What do you want me to see? And they will give images or they will often give scenes of things that happened. I'm back in my bedroom. I can hear my parents fighting. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to play with my toys or I'm trying to block it out. Um, is there anything that you want me to do while I'm here? Go tell them to stop or whatever. Okay, I'll go do that. Um, and then you ask, are you ready to leave this place and go somewhere safe? And if they say yes, you, you say, we can go wherever you want to go. Um, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't know. I say, well, it just um, can be imaginary. It could be a place you know, but a, it has to be safe. It has to feel secure. Um, and often it's in nature. You go to this place, you take a minute, get oriented, and then you invite them to release whatever they're holding in their body. Sometimes they'll say, hey, in this space, in this, this magical place, you can reach into your body and pull out whatever that icky stuff is. And Dick would say you can release it in a ritualistic kind of way to light, to wind, to water, to the earth, to fire, however you'd like. And parts will like reach into their chest and start pulling out like black goo mm. and it'll go into the fire or it'll just go into the air. Um, and once they're done, they often feel the way your little girl felt, like free and light and like they're ready to go be with their friends or they're ready to go play on the swing set or I have a, a part that wants to just go read a book. And so that, that movement of taking them out of where they're stuck is often an important part of the unburdening process. So, um, but I think your example illustrates more of the attachment view that I have. Right. That, the EFT um, approach. Right. That it is, it is, and I don't think this is distinct to attachment. It's part of IFS, but it is the sense of connection to yourself that transforms. And um, that that uh, manualized treatment of unburdening that has these steps to it is very helpful, but it doesn't have to go that way. Right. I think this this approach is so amazing. It gives completely new mm -hmm. language for for knowing ourselves, for getting to know ourselves. Uh, yeah. We, we right. feel, we make the mistake of thinking that we're masters in our own house. And then we realize, oh. <laughs> Don't realize we? Yeah, yes. there are other characters at play here. And it's amazing how they each have their own personalities, their own wants and needs and own yeah. ways of going about getting those needs. And I, right. I think it's really, really profound. And it was, it was yeah, really, it, it was really something for me. 
I'm so glad. And I love that you could do it on your own. Um, and I think one of the great things, because the model is so experienced near and accessible, that people can um, listen to the audio book or um, even just go on YouTube and, and be walked through an exercise and have these experiences. But I will also say, and in fact, I uh, was listening to an interview with Dick and he said, and keep in mind, this is the founder of the theory who's been doing it for 40 years, said at this point, I can work with my parts and often get them to unblend. But if I need to do unburdening and, and the heavy the heavy work of healing, I need to go to my therapist and do that. And I was like, oh, that feels better. (laughs) 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 Because I I think there's an attachment frame there too. And so part of the model is that the therapist brings self-energy into the system. And that's really important that self-energy isn't just, it's not, and this is is where it could connect to Jung a little more, that self-energy is... Um, Dick would say um, that an individual self is just a little particle of the larger self. And that, of course, gets everybody like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, but it is a spiritual statement. Uh, he doesn't back off of that, uh, that he believes that um, that energy, which we can't really know, but we could describe by its traits, um, is pervasive and that it exists in everyone. And he says that everyone has a self and that selves are impermeable to trauma uh, and that they are whole and complete and they're there from the very beginning uh, and they are connected to this larger energy. So if a therapist can bring in their self energy into a system, the parts respond to that and the self is strengthened in that person. Um, so, you know, it's very important for, for people listening to this to understand um, there are also limits de- depending on the burdens you're carrying. We all have trauma, uh, whether we experienced abuse or we just grew up in a family that couldn't attend to certain parts of us. Or we live in a culture that is carrying legacy burdens of violence. Uh, I mean, there are all sorts of ways that trauma can appear in our system. All of us have that. Um, To the extent that we ourselves aren't able to hold that, then we need to go get support. And that is like the most efficient thing we could do. Uh, Like we talked about, I love the phrase, interpersonal solutions. I'm going to trademark it eventually. <laughs> That's uh, a good one. But like, it's like, yeah, you can't, we're trying to do this by going internal. Um, and it's like we're trying to do it by ourselves. But what you're saying actually is, I, I'm not really doing it by myself. There's a, there's a lot going on in here. And you wouldn't have been able to do this without a little bit of guidance from a book or, or a meditation that walked you through it. And that book and that meditation are helping you kind of lend and capture some self-energy. Um, and this podcast, hopefully, you know, is, is lending that to people too. Hopefully. Um, I hope so. I will say, I you think know, so. I will say that I, 
it's not that I woke up one morning, read the book and all was well, you know, I've been in therapy for many years. So I'm familiar, you know, with my demons, so to speak. But this was a new way of getting to know myself and having a conversation, having the right kind of conversation too. you know, that interpersonal element was really powerful because even though I knew about the concept of the inner child, I never approached Mm -hmm. her in that way. And Uh I also never allowed myself to even explore what was going on there in terms of the visuals, in terms of the feeling it's the, the way he guides it is, is very helpful Mm -hmm. there. So there's definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely a tool there that can really help people if they're struggling, whatever they're struggling with. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a very, um, it's a very utilitarian model that can be used just about any time, anywhere, because it is the nature of our psyche. It's how our psyche is made. So it's, it's rather universal. Uh, and in that sense, you know, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And I will, Um, I will add, you know, um, it's, I have heard that some people have a lot of resistance towards some of their mm-hmm. parts. And I will say, you know, the manager in the corner that I didn't have time to approach it's because I don't like her, <laughs> you know? So good. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh-huh. So there's also that it uh-huh. wasn't all, uh, you know, rainbow, yeah. rainbows and roses. Yeah. But, but that element, like, Oh, getting to know that, like, that's my relationship mm-hmm. with that perfectionistic yeah. part of myself. And like, okay, right. that's, that's something I'm going to have to, to open at some point, mm-hmm. but also just there's, there's something in having a feeling towards a personality that I didn't have before, you know, understanding what yeah. my relationship with that part is like the language here, you know, it's a relational language. And I, yeah. I think that's really just what is amazing about it because it introduces this interpersonal element uh, towards yes. dealing with ourselves. Yeah, uh, you you nailed it, and that's why I think it's an attachment-based model. Yeah, is yeah. It is, um, it is based on the exact same principles as EFT um, and other attachment-based psychotherapies, um, but it is it's guided and internal. Yeah, it's a relation. You're right. It's a relational model. Um, so I'm gonna. We talked about this earlier. I'm gonna name it right now and and. You've already done a tremendous service here by being so open. Um, But you did mention there's a part you didn't get to work with. Um, And if you wanted to, I could help guide a little bit and we could do some work with that part. Sure, let's Um, go for it. Does that feel okay to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm definitely curious. So uh, hopefully it's it's a value to people to just see how it works and... Yeah, Hopefully it won't I be too it. embarrassing. <laughs> well, let's do this first, just to be safe. Um, yeah. Can you just do a quick check with your system? And when I say that, what I mean is just close your eyes and in an inner voice, not out loud, just say, does anybody have any concerns about us doing this? And just listen and see if anything speaks to you. All right. Yeah. I think, I think we're game. 
Okay, yeah. great. So I'd like I'd like to start um, by encouraging you uh, to say thank you to your system for being willing to do this. I want to say thank you to your parts for being willing to do this. I'm going to join you in self as best I can. And anybody watching, I would encourage them to kind of hold compassion and openness and curiosity here too. So you don't have to, but if you're comfortable, sometimes it's better to close your eyes and just take a deep breath to center as we get started. Just nice and full, nice and slow. Your breath is almost like a gift to your system. And if you don't mind, just start by saying uh, to your whole inner world, just say, I'm here. And then um, you may find other parts coming up and we could talk to them or we could go find that manager in the corner that you were talking about and see if she's available. Okay, it sounds like, yep, yep she's, she's here. She's here. <laughs> okay, so just take a, take a few moments to notice her and just um, see what she's showing you by, by where she is and how she's dressed and just take, in, take her in a little bit and, and tell me um, what do you notice about her right away. Yeah, so things that are coming up um, is the word uptight, and it's the word okay, nervous. Okay, she seems uptight. Yeah. She seems uptight and nervous. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like she has a lot of anxious energy. Absolutely. A lot of fear, actually. Okay. Absolutely. And and how old, how old does she seem? I want to say 15, 16, something like that. Okay, great. Young teenager. Yeah. Okay. And this is the same part you encountered before? Yeah, yeah. Maybe she's okay. even younger. You know, maybe she's even 13 or 14. Um, Early adolescence. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So now I want you, as you're, as you're with her, I'd like you to notice how you feel towards her right now in this moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's that same kind of a little bit of, of an aversive energy, uh, to be honest. Great. Yeah. Great. So, so right now I want you to focus on the aversive energy and, and imagine you're just going to pivot your attention to this part of you that has these negative feelings towards her. And I want you to ask that part not to go away, but just take one step back from you. Just one step so that you could see it and get to know it a little bit. Is it willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, cool. Okay. Tell me about t <laughs> good. Can you tell me a little bit? Let's get to know this part a little bit. What what's this part like? Um, she definitely has a lot of anxiety, a lot of worries. Uh, mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. she has this really deep sense, this felt sense, this belief that if she's not perfect, then mm -hmm. she won't be loved. And okay. And she feels this very, very yeah. um, heavy responsibility uh, to keep everything yeah. <laughs> together. Yeah. You know, to keep everything orderly. Yeah. So, so she's a manager for sure. Mm -hmm. And she's um, showing you a lot right now about what it's like to be her. And she's also telling you, here's my job. This is what I do for you. Yeah. 
And so does it make sense to you why when she looks at this 13, 14 year old that she'd feel anxious uh, uh, about or not like this part? Does that make sense why she'd feel that way to you? Um, why the part doesn't like, or, well, so let me ask, let me ask you to go back in. Yep. yep. Go back in. Yeah. So I want you to stay in relationship and dialogue with this part. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I, that's my fault. Let me ask a different question. No worries. Can you ask, can you ask her what she's scared of? She's, she's scared of not being loved. She's scared of not being accepted. Yeah. And, and this is kind of the only strategy she knows of, yeah. of dealing uh, with that. Yeah. So just like um, A-R-E, I want you to take the time to reflect that back to her in your inner voice. Like, mm -hmm. am I hearing you right? Here's what I'm hearing you say. Just take a moment to reflect that. see how she responds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, yeah. she is kind of, <laughs> she feels relieved uh, that someone yeah. can see how good. hard she's working uh, to yeah. keep everything afloat. Yep. Really good, Roni. So notice how you're feeling towards her right now. Yeah. How are I, you feeling towards her? I have more compassion for her, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. where, where before I felt this, uh, kind of aversive feeling of, mm -hmm. of why does she have to be mm -hmm. this way? Mm -hmm. Um, I get it now. I understand where she's coming yeah. from and I, yeah. I kind of want to help her, uh, you know, yeah. unburden herself from this responsibility because, uh, I yeah. think I think I can handle the situation better than she so can. So I want you to go back in and yep. I want you to tell her that. I want you to tell her that directly like you're having a conversation. Just I want you, I hear you and I have compassion for you. And I want to take that responsibility. I can handle that responsibility now. You don't have to do that anymore. Just see how she feels about that. Is she willing to trust you? right now yeah she's really relieved it seems like she's Good. uh she's been waiting for someone to yeah i bet she has yeah. a long time yeah yeah to take so that now, responsibility this is beautiful just i want you to ask her now if she's ready to take a step back so that you can go back to that 13 year old is she ready to give you room now I make sure you thank her for everything she's done and for trusting you right now. Yeah, I can, I'll share, you know, the, the images mm -hmm. that come up is, is, it is very maternal. It's, it's looking at her face. It's kind of tucking her hair back, you know, behind mm -hmm. her ear and like, it's all good. You don't, you don't need to carry this responsibility anymore. Good. Beautiful. So let's pivot your attention back now. Can you find that first part, the 13-year-old? The, 
that, that, or is that what that, that is? That is the part. That is the part. Okay. I thought, okay. I thought I didn't like her. Tell, you but tell self me. never, self never dislikes parts. You tell, you tell me. Cause I, I felt me right now ha having that reaction to her. So, so maybe that is also another part, but that was the initial. So feeling. interesting. So interesting. Um, I, here's what I thought was happening. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you could tell me what actually happened. So I asked what in IFS would be kind of the, the diagnostic question about is somebody in self or are they blended with the part? Mm -hmm. And the question was, how are you feeling towards this 13 year old? And the answer was there's some aversive energy. Right. And so I said, I asked you if you could then find the part of you that's holding the aversive energy. I see. I see. I, I think but if, I, if I had to, if I had to say which part that was, it's definitely the firefighter. <laughs> it's the, it's yeah. the part of me that doesn't mind saying I don't like somebody. <laughs> so what, what I think happened there was without maybe knowing that we were working with the firefighter, we listened to what, what you described as the, the, the negative energy. You actually then went into describing the manager's energy. Is that right? Yeah. The, the, the anxiety. I don't, I want to be perfect. I need people to see, I don't want people to see that I'm not together. Right. Right. And I think okay. if, if I were to use the IFS language, I was blended with a firefighter and I allowed mm -hmm. myself, you know, as you were speaking to unblend and to approach the manager, the protector with self energy, yeah. with a little bit more compassion. So, that's great. So I, I just wasn't aware that that had happened so quickly um, <laughs> yeah. that, that uh, here I am thinking we pivoted to work with that part that doesn't like the manager but actually just bringing some compassion and energy into the system, that part was able to step back kind of spontaneously. Yeah. And yeah. you were able to then have compassion for this younger manager. And then you started to listen to what she was scared of. And just in listening and encountering her in self, that relationship began to change. And then you had a sense of, I want to be, and this is the maternal energy. I, I, I would say I had this impulse to be provisional yeah. like a mom Absolutely. and not just like a therapist, not just like a therapist. who's like, okay, I hear you saying da da da, but even further, um, there was that spirit of like maybe even creativity. Oh, I can help you. I see a way to help you. Let yeah. me, let me come in here. You don't have to do this. And um, she felt it just like the little girl. She felt like she could trust it. Does that feel right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the sense yeah. of relief. <laughs> she could breathe mm. all of a sudden. She's yeah. Like, Thank goodness someone's here. And, mm -hmm. and someone can see also and appreciate how hard yeah. I've been working to. Yeah. To run oh, that was important. That was important that she could be seen as a good part of you mm -hmm. that's been working so hard. That yeah. is not that just is as an EFT, anxious part, right? That being seen, uh -huh. that is in itself yes. is healing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clearly it was. 
Could we try one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Don't worry. Not no, scary. no, I'm, uh, uh, I'm all game. I'm all in. So I want you to go back to her and let's just see what happens. If you go back in, try to go find her again. I'm okay. with her. Just check. Okay, good. Can you ask her if there's anything that she would like to let go of right now? <laughs> the first thing that came to mind is uh, she does not want to worry about grades anymore in school great <laughs> yeah great and and is there a place and this may be odd she may not feel this but is there a place in her body where she holds that worry about grades where she we, feels it yeah it's like in her shoulders you know she's like okay so i would like you right now to just put put your hands where you feel it in your shoulders or where she feels it in her shoulders just let your hands be a symbol of like your attention and your presence. And um, if she wants to, in this space, she can take that energy and just pull it out of her shoulders and, and release it, release the worry about grades to the air, or to light, to fire, to water, to the earth. Just pull it out of there and let go of it. And see if she's able to do that. And if she's not, that's okay, too. But. To be honest, she's uh, eager to do it. Okay. Yeah. Is this a place she feels she can do it, or would she like to go to a safer place? She's she's just really happy that someone is giving her the the legitimacy to, yeah. to release. It's like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. She's allowed. It's, yeah, permission to let it go. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Is she, is it coming out? Is it letting go? Mm. Yeah, she's just releasing it into the air. And, uh, Good. She's doing it quickly. She, she doesn't want, yeah. she doesn't want it anymore. Yeah, she's done with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let it all out as much as she wants to. And then let her know that she can take in in, to replace it, she could take in anything she wants. You know what came up immediately was what? curiosity. She perfect. She she yeah. wants to to explore, not with the not with the goal of being perfect or being validated by others, but just exploring with mm -hmm. her, following her notes. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's beautiful. That makes so much sense for her age, too, to mm -hmm. be curious and follow. I love that. Follow with her nose without worrying about being perfect or what other people think. Yeah. Uh, let her breathe that in, that, that spirit of curiosity. And see how that feels for her. And then just notice and maybe even ask her what she wants to go do. <laughs> um, she wants to read and mm. she wants to go, uh, she wants to go work out. I, at that age, I was in Kung Fu classes <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. uh, pretty heavily into it. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's what she wants to do and listen to music. Yeah, so so tell her she can go and do that. 
And that the other thing that you want to say before she goes is that you're here whenever she needs you. And that she can just come and get your attention now. She doesn't have to be alone. Does that feel right? Yeah, she she gave me a big hug. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So before you before you end, just check in with your system and see if everybody's okay. Yeah, uh if I if I could do that, it looks like the the firefighter and the exile are just kind of looking and and being really appreciative mm -hmm. of uh mm -hmm. of what's happening in the room. Yeah. They've been watching this whole thing and they're learning about you. They're seeing what just happened. And that's got to build some faith. It's got to build some trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, come on back. Wow. Get oriented in the room a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> back with uh, with all yeah. the lights. Uh huh. Yeah. It's a little. That's probably a little jolting. Yeah. That was beautiful. So, that was beautiful. Yeah. That really was beautiful. That was a beautiful piece of work you just did. Really nice. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was uh it was it was nice to to have some hand holding through it. That's right. Yeah, isn't that an interesting parallel of um yourself needed some hand holding uh so that you could do the appropriate hand holding with your parts. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. I think that is the beauty of therapy. As you said, the, the therapist brings their own self-energy, and, right. and that really orients you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, you get the experience of the family system thinker of like, yeah, there needs to be somebody at the head of the system. There has right. to be a leader at the head of the table that can be like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to you. Okay. And so self-leadership is a big part of the model that when the self is in the lead, um, you know, parts are, I mean, you kind of felt the spontaneity of it and, yeah. and how that just takes over. Yeah. And I can, I can really say that how I felt before and after, you know. Yeah, I, let's notice that. So Notice how you feel now. I feel such a relief, which is amazing because... Mm -hmm. You know, I I told the the experience of the exile and the firefighter, and mm -hmm. I was good with them. You know, we were in a good place. Mm -hmm. But there, you know, as I said, there was a manager in the corner, and I have just <laughs> no no patience to deal with her. And 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 we're in a better relationship now. You know, that feels yeah. like I can relate to her in a different way. And. I don't yeah. need to blend with my firefighter whenever I'm approaching her. Mm -hmm. I can just come to her with that maternal mm -hmm. self energy mm -hmm. and and say, "Hey, you know, you don't need to run the ship anymore. It's all good." That's right. That's right. Uh, and that she feels was, different. That she, feels different. You can feel a noticeable difference there. Yeah. Absolutely. How are your How's that? How are your feelings in the shoulders? Yeah, yeah, it's released, and you know there. Uh, 
honestly doing it on the podcast i think is even more impactful because the manager really kicks in <laughs> when i oh, hit yeah. record you know and and that's something that i have been struggling with just coming here being myself and the manager you know mm. when you have a 13 year old perfectionist trying to run the show things can, oh, things can very, get tough <laughs> that's uh i mean listen that's wonderful empathy for yourself and for her yeah. i cannot imagine i cannot imagine how scary it would be to be a 13 year old doing this podcast right <laughs> Well, yeah. she's been doing a very good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of the yeah. things I told mm -hmm. her is like, you're almost mm -hmm. damn near perfect. <laughs> you, you've gotten uh -huh. as close as anyone can, but but really gotta gotta let this go. Um, uh -huh. and, and that sense of compassion of like, you know, being yeah. just just seeing yeah. how hard that part of myself yeah. was was trying, you know, to do good mm -hmm. for the entire system. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. What an approach! <laughs> what an amazing. amazing, yeah, Isn't it great. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've I'm I'm 29. I've been reading psychology for a decade, um, you know, but mm -hmm. but this is this is something else. This is really really amazing, and I really encourage people to to get Dick Schwartz's book, No Bad Parts, and to just mm -hmm. just play with it, just try it. It's uh, you never know what will come up. Um, yeah. It's it's really yep. really amazing and and thank you Seth for for this experience it was really really meaningful for me. Yeah, well uh, you're very welcome and um, thank you again for the uh, being willing to do it. It's obvious how much work you've done um, to get to the point of being this uh, comfortable and courageous, you know, to you. to take the risk and um, yeah. Yeah, I love what you've modeled today. I think it makes every every part of this come alive. I really um, hope so. I IFS, really IFS, when talked about, is a it almost sounds like yeah. fanciful, right? right. Um, but when you see it done, it starts to click a little bit more, and and then when you do it, it really clicks. But yeah, right, right. Yeah, so I, absolutely, feeling. really happy to do it. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. So obviously we didn't get to Carl Jung today and I really hope uh, to have you back on the show to, to jump into archetypes uh, if you're willing. Okay. Yep. Of course. That would be great. That'd Amazing. be great. It's um, yeah, not as user friendly, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> uh, we, we will definitely uh, nerd out in that episode. Yeah, and I think we can that's right. completely yeah. indulge our intellectual curiosity and just, uh, you know, okay. just have a jam session and, and talk about archetypes. And I have heard you talk about Jung, and I think that we can, we can help kind of clear some of the misunderstandings around what archetypes are because mm -hmm. they're they are kind of being hijacked by the new age movement and i would like to bring them mm -hmm. back into our corner uh if we will uh so i think okay. i think we could have fun there okay sounds good amazing thank you. amazing thank you seth always a pleasure bye-bye <laughs>